is because of our great love for him that we want to respond in, in humility and obedience to him. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we are grateful for all that you have done for us. We recognize that it is not because we were good enough or smart enough, because we were holy enough, righteous enough. Lord, it is, it is completely your work in saving us from our sin, completely what you have done for us on our behalf. When we were still sinners, you died for us and you have set us free. Help us now as we live in that freedom. And as we seek to exercise that freedom as a means of displaying the gospel, Lord, help us now to surrender all that we have to you, to bring everything under the obedience, under the authority of your will, that we might honor you as first and, and most and greatest in all things, Jesus. This we pray in your name. Amen. Well, because today is... One of our, our, our moments when we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, we do not have kids' crew worship today. The normal pattern for our kids' crew is we do it the first three Sundays of the month. Once a quarter, there is a Sunday that has five weeks in it, or I, sh I should say rather a month that has five Sundays in it. That's the, that's the way I should have worded that. And so once a quarter, we, we fall on one of these, we just refer to them as fifth Sundays, and we celebrate together on fifth Sundays with the Lord's Supper. We, we absorb, the, observe the Lord's Supper together, today being one of those days. Of course, we did that, but it also means that we'll just stay together for this time of worship. We won't dismiss our kids upstairs. They'll be a part of our worship together. I would encourage everyone to turn in your Bible this morning to Romans chapter 14. When you came in, you should have received a worship guide on the backside of that, a place where you can follow along with a message today. But also there were some kids worship bulletins located here at the front of the room as kids came in. And, and so that is something handy that they can use to interact with. This passage of text today in Romans chapter 14, they can follow along and work through some of the activities in that that will direct them to engage with the text this morning. Romans chapter 14, we pick up where we left off last week in our study through this passage. And before we dive in, I want to ask you just to a question for a moment, just to think about, are, are you a fan of history? Are there any, are any real fans of history in the room? Some people really get into history. Some people can't stand history. You couldn't, in, in, in school, you couldn't stand the study of history. You, you never look forward to history. Uh, you, you never want it. You're thinking, why do we got to study about all these old people and all these old events and this stuff that happened way back when? And some of you love history, and that's okay. It's not right or wrong, I suppose, good or bad, if you love or don't love history. But for those those of you who do love history, particularly, maybe you have a specific memory of or reflection of uh, European history. If you remember when, when you were in school, maybe, maybe if you studied European history. Well, in the study of European history, you may have come across the 30 Years' War. Perhaps you'll remember the 30 Years' War. If not, let me refresh you. I'll just give you a, a quick crash course on the 30 Years' War. There was, there was a, a point in time in the early 16th century, excuse me, 17th century, which would have been the early 1600s, when there was a great division in Europe between the houses of Absburg and the house of uh, the, well, the Bohemians. And so there were these, these separate houses that, that influenced a lot of France, but in particular, you had what was known at this time as the Holy Roman Empire, the Holy Roman Empire, which ruled over a large part of modern-day Germany 
Germany, Austria, Hungary, a large part of sort of central Europe, if you can picture in your mind the European continent. But the Holy Roman Empire became divided between uh, an influence from France and the influence from the more German or really truly Austrian uh, strain of, of these 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 houses, the, the church itself. And so the differing families that ruled in these differing nations, which was closely associated with the church, th- there began to be divisions that arose in all of this, which was compounded even more by the new fracture in the church itself between Protestant and Catholic, between traditionally the church, the Catholic, which just means universal, the, the, the church, as they would have understood it up to that point in time, and the new strain of Protestantism, which were people who protest, protested the practices of the, the Catholic church. And so these divisions led to a prolonged period of conflict that we now refer to as the 30 years war. Of course, in the moment, they didn't call it that, right? Because they didn't know it would last for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, but from 1618 to 1648, I believe it was, there was the, the 30 years war. And during this period of time, there, was, there were a lot of leaders in the church who were calling for some kind of unity amongst people who disagreed, that there would be some kind of unity, there would be an end to war, end to conflict, that people could continue to worship under the freedom of conscience that, and, and so there were, there were various movements. There's not nearly enough time to paint all the picture, put together all of those puzzle pieces, but there is one figure that arose who's a rather, uh, a rather unknown, a, a rather really in, in many ways indistinct figure, but he came up with a phrase. He coined a phrase that has that has stood the test of time. And so this figure, his name is Rupertus Meldinius. You've probably never heard of Rupertus Meldinius. I'll be honest with you. I knew the phrase and I didn't even know his name either until I was studying this week and trying to do my homework on where this came from. But Rupertus Meldinius coined a phrase that perhaps you've heard before. He said, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty in all things, charity. Now, he didn't say that in English. He said that in Latin originally, and so it sounds a little different in Latin, but translated and even to some degree abbreviated. That's the phrase that we have. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. What that means is there are certain things that we need to be united on, There are certain things where there's freedom, liberty for us to exercise under the leadership of the Holy Spirit governing our conscience. And then there are certain things that we need to understand that I need to do what is for the best of others, not just the practice of my own freedom. And so charity, oftentimes that word charity, we don't use that word a lot anymore, but that refers to Christian love. That's a specific phrase or a specific word rather that means Christian love. It's a love that is centered in our our understanding of the gospel. And so in all things, we should seek to love each other as a demonstration of the gospel. It's a great phrase that has long stood the test of time. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. What I want us to see this morning is that though that phrase itself is not found in the scripture, that was that, that was coined many, many years later, 
the heart behind that phrase is very much connected to this passage of Scripture that we're going to study together in Romans chapter 14 today. And so I want us to, to think along this line, that our exercise of freedom as followers of Jesus, and we saw last week that we are free in Christ, but our exercise of freedom must be governed by the Scripture must be governed by the Holy Spirit as he directs our conscience and must also be governed by our call to live according to the gospel. And we'll see each of those things fleshed out in this passage in Romans 14 together. Let's start reading together Romans 14 beginning in verse 13 and we'll just finish the rest of this chapter, Romans 14. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer but decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Let's pause for a moment. You'll have to think back to our, our study last week, or if you weren't here, you can just glance back at the, the opening verses to Romans chapter 14. And there's a reference here to foods that are clean and unclean. In this day, it was a common practice that there would be certain foods that would be offered to idols and then because those idols, of course, didn't consume the food. How could it? It was just a, it was a, a false idol, right? They would set some food before a, a statue, and when they came back later and the statue had done nothing to consume the food, then they would take that food and they would sell it in the market for a discounted rate. And so there was some division about among believers, could they eat this meat that had been set before these idols? The Jews, who, who for the most part, practice the strict dietary laws, the kosher laws of, of Hebrewism, of, of what we would think of as the old covenant, said absolutely not. And some went so far as to say, because we can't know for sure what foods have been offered in front of idols and what haven't, we just need to, we need to be strict vegetarians. We need to not, not uh, eat meat altogether. And Paul speaks into that saying that really what you need to do is you need to operate according to the leadership of the Spirit as, as, as your conscience is governed by the Spirit. That's not right or wrong, but rather it's a matter of the Spirit. We'll come back and look at that a little bit more, but that's the importance, the significance of that. It's tying into what we studied last week, but also importantly, it, it fits within this greater context of what Paul has been speaking about throughout the whole book of Romans, that he's trying to build bridges between these two groups within the church in Rome, the Christians and the, or the, the Gentile Christians and, and the, the Jewish Christians. And he's trying to build bridges and show them that they need to be united together over the things that they share in common in Christ and not allow differences, matters of conscience, matters of opinion to separate them, but to be a united witness. We'll keep reading and we'll come back and, and talk more about some of this. Verse 14, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. 
So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. And whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This passage has a number of of wonderful uh, things for us to understand. Now, we've got to work a little bit to... to, uh, unweave to 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 understand what Paul is saying here because largely this is a context that doesn't make a lot of sense to us we don't get worked up the way that they would have in the early church we don't have the same types of divisions over the things that we eat for the most part i don't mean that there aren't some outliers and some 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 groups or some that hold certain understanding or certain belief but for the most part especially really practically as it as it speaks to this church right here at First Baptist Church. We're not divided over what we eat and and don't eat, but nonetheless, what he's saying here really is very instructive for the things that we do practice and the ways that we might perhaps disagree because what he's giving us here speaks to more than just dietary laws. This really speaks to the practice of our faith in a way that would, as he says, uh, in verse 19, build each other up for mutual upbuilding and how we can encourage and build each other up in the exercise of the freedom that we have in Christ. And so what a great text for us. And so I want us to see it and study it along the lines of the phrase that I shared with you that was coined by Rupertus Meldinius. In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. In all things, Charity. Let's let that sort of understand maybe the, the way that we approach this text and what this text is teaching us. I do think that there is one particular, one particular thing that we ought to see, and this is the first point of our, our notes this morning. And this particular point really becomes instructive for how we understand everything else, okay? And so that's important that as, as I'm going to give you this point in just a minute. Let's, let's say that this point sort of supersedes everything else. It governs or it dictates or it, it stands in a way as sort of an umbrella over everything else that we, might, that we might see. And that is just simply this, that we are called to serve Christ. As followers of Jesus, as believers, our obedience is to the Lord. Our Our worship is to the Lord Jesus. Our service is to Jesus. Our allegiance is to Jesus. Our faith is directed toward Jesus. He is the one who gave everything for us. Jesus is at the center of everything that we understand, everything we believe, everything that we practice. And so this is a rather simple thing to say. And yet it's profound in so many ways because what we do with Jesus then dictates what we do with everything else. Look in this, in this passage that we studied together that he writes 
don't let, you, uh, don't let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So in light of all these other things that we might understand, and we will, we'll, we'll dig into that in a moment. Let's put at the forefront, let's put first as the first matter of importance, as the greatest matter that we should consider, that above all, we serve Jesus. Jesus is first. He belongs first in our hearts. We give him first place. That's really the essence of what worship is all about. If you go all the way back to Romans chapter 12, you remember that I told you when we started in Romans chapter 12, that the first 11 chapters of Romans really pointed to our hope and our understanding of the gospel. And from chapter 12 to 16, we were going to find a series of instructions about how we were to live out that understanding of the gospel, how we were to live out that faith that we have on the one hand, we have have our understanding of what faith is and scripture is and what the gospel and salvation. On the other hand, we have the practice of that faith. We have how we are to live in light of that faith. That's the second half of the book of Romans. Not truly half, but we'll call it half, right? The second division, the second main division from chapter 14 on. And so we see here that this is tied to our worship. That putting Jesus first, and that's what we define worship ultimately as, putting Jesus first, making him greatest, putting him as primary in all things, putting Jesus first then ought to govern, ought to dictate how we live in light of everything else. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God. We must understand that in order to serve Christ, we have to truly put Jesus first. There has to be a moment in your heart, in your life, where you have surrendered all to Jesus. By faith, where you have called on him as Lord and Savior. Even this morning, we've celebrated together our faith in Christ through the observance of the Lord's Supper. And, and as, we, as we started into this time of reflection and prayer at the beginning, at the outset, I told you that this is something that we do that reminds us of the hope we have in Christ and the saving work of Christ, what he did for us. The very practice of the Lord's Supper, the observance of that preaches the gospel to us. One of the things that I pray for every time we observe the Lord's Supper together, and you can, you can ask Brad, because we met together for a time of prayer this morning as we normally do on Sundays, and I prayed this way for today. I always pray, Lord, let the Lord's Supper, let our observance of this preach the gospel to us today. Because it is such a, it is such a, a, a physical uh, representation of faith, of have and have not, which is one of the reasons why often the Lord's Supper itself becomes really a great teaching tool in the lives of our children who grew up in the church, because this is a physical representation of those who have trusted in Jesus by faith and those who haven't, those who receive the elements as they come by because they've trusted in Jesus by faith and those who allow the plate to pass because they've never placed their faith in Christ. What a, what a visual, what a graphic display of faith that can be. And I always pray, Lord, let that preach hope to us. that Even as that plate passes by, we have to we have to stop and we have to reflect and consider, have I, have I surrendered my life to Jesus? Have I put him first? My hope, my sincere desire is that you would be able to say with, with confidence, without any hesitation, yes, I have put Jesus first. And everything else I seek to do is in service of Christ, putting him first, making him 
making him first in my heart and my life that I might serve Christ in all things. And so then if we are, if we are seeking to be faithful to put Christ first in all things, that means that wherever Christ has spoken, we need to, we need to, to see that as a clear command. Wherever the scripture speaks, by the way, Christ has spoken. Wherever the Bible speaks, then God has given us his word. He has given us direction. And so I, I mentioned this last week. I want to bring this point home again today that when we think about what are the essentials, what are the matters that we need to be united together on? What are the things that we would say, yes, there, there can be no room for division on these things. We must stand united. Those need to be the things that are specifically dictated by the scripture, specifically spoken of by the scripture. Even as Paul wrote to the Galatians, if anyone should come and preach a gospel other than the one that we preach, let him be cast out. That the gospel itself, the truth of scripture, the teaching of the Bible, that these things, there's no room for division. There's no room for uh, us to say, well, that's your opinion. And now that doesn't mean that we that we don't sometimes disagree in the way we interpret and in seeking to be faithful to the Scripture. There are a number of things that the Scriptures speak to, and, and people see it differently, and we would argue from the Scriptures. But even in that, even in that, we must recognize that unless we are seeking to be faithful students, obedient followers of what the Word of God says, then then we have no real basis, no real grounds to stand on, no real substance to our argument if it's just, well, this is my opinion. We must seek to be faithful to, obedient to the word of God. These are the essentials. These are the things that are specifically spelled out by revelation, by specific revelation. And that's what we refer to scripture as. It's a specific revelation given to us by God that we may know Jesus and have faith in him. How do we know that to be true? Jesus himself told us that. Go to John chapter 20 and look at the very last verse in John chapter 20. Jesus, uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and, and John says there's a lot more we could say about all that Jesus has done, but we've given you these things that you may know Christ and you may have faith in him. The gospels remind us of this truth. We are called to serve Christ by putting him first, putting him first in our hearts, putting him first in our church, putting him first even in the exercise of our freedom. This passage speaks a lot about, about the idea of freedom. And I think it's interesting that we need to marry our faith with our freedom. Verse 22 and 23 tell us that, right? That you have faith, yes, but you have freedom. And so the faith that you have, that, that needs to govern what you do. Now, let me, let me point out something about verse 22, because we could, if we aren't careful, we could take the first phrase of verse 22, and we could spin off and create all kinds of wrong practices. So... Let's look at that together. Verse 22, the first phrase, the faith that you have keep between yourself and God. What he is not saying there, what he is not saying is that your faith is private and it needs to remain private and you don't need, don't, it's just between you and God and it's not between you and anyone else and you don't need to, no, 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 no. There are some today who would argue that your faith has no, has, has no place in your, in, 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 
in society. Your faith has no place in the way that you live and interact with others. That's your private faith, and it's just between you and God. That is not what the Scripture is teaching here. And the reason we know that is because all we must do is consider this in the context, the greater context, not only of Romans 14 and Romans 13 and 15, what comes before and after, but even just in the greater context of the New Testament itself. No, our faith is to determine everything about how we live. But the point that he's saying here, specifically in verse 22, the faith that you have keep between yourself and God, he's saying your faith and the exercise of the freedom that you have in Christ, the exercise of faith that you have, that that needs to be something that you are free to God. But that doesn't mean that you can just live however you want with everybody else, because as it pertains to everyone else, you need to live in such a way that would point them to God. And that's where we really begin to see these other points in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things charity. Let's consider each of these other points as well. So first we saw that we are called to serve Christ. We marry together our faith and our freedom as we seek to be faithful to, obedient to the word of, the word of God. But then also we're called to serve one another. Not only do we serve Christ by putting him first, but we're also called to serve one another. And so the exercise of that freedom that we have, the, the practice of faith under the govern, governing authority of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God that governs our conscience, those things must in all ways must seek to serve and build others up. Look at a few of these phrases that let's just work our way all the way back to verse 13. And I just want to highlight a few phrases that point us to see this that we're called to serve one another. He says in verse 13, never put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. So do what is best for your brothers, right? He goes on to say in the next verse, I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it's unclean for the one who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. So you can operate in the freedom that you have in Jesus in such a way that would be a hindrance to, a stumbling block to your brother, your sister in Christ. And you need to, in those instances, you need to do what is best for your brother and your sister, not just what you feel like you have been given the total freedom to do in Christ. And that's, that's the argument as he works his way forward, right? What you eat by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. He goes even further, right? That, that whoever serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And so the point of all of this is that we're to encourage each other, even in the exercise of our faith, even in, even in the way that we operate in the freedom that is ours under Jesus. You know, it's interesting that in the Gospels, Jesus says specifically to his disciples that it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you, but rather what comes out of your mouth. You can see that in John chapter 15, verse 11. He says the same thing is recorded in Mark chapter 7, verse 14 or 15, I believe it is, in Mark chapter 7. That Jesus says that it's not what goes into, it's not the food that you consume that would defile you, but rather what comes out of you, what comes out of your mouth. In other words, it, there's a lot of freedom about the things that we eat. There's a lot of freedom about the, the, the laws because we're, we're set free from all of that in Jesus. And yet we can defile ourselves in the exercise of that freedom 
if we, if we act in ways toward others that don't encourage them, that don't build them up, that don't seek to point them toward Jesus, why are we called to serve one another? Well, because the way that we serve one another ultimately is a reflection of the way that we serve Christ. How do you serve Jesus? By seeking to serve his bride, the church, the body of faith. You know, one of the greatest things that you can do to bless me as a, as a, as a husband, as a father, is to do something kind to my wife and my children. And, and I, th- I don't know many, many husbands, many married men that wouldn't say that, right? It blesses me when people do things that are kind to my family. It also really gets under my skin when people do things that are unkind toward my family. Well, really, when I think about that, that's just a reflection of the truth of, of, of the gospel that's embedded even into something like God's design of the family, right? You want to bless Christ, bless the people of God. You want to serve Christ, serve the people of God. You want to do something good for the Lord, serve his body, serve the church. Because in doing that, you're building up others. And you're showing that Jesus is first in your heart, and you want to bless the people of God because you see that as an extension of the love that you have for Christ. So we're called to serve Christ. We're called to serve one another. But then also importantly, we see in this text, we're called to serve the outsider. The outsider. Now, there are a couple of ways that we can understand the outsider. In one sense, the outsider could be someone who is outside of our local church. Now, why are they outside of our local church? That may be because it's somebody who doesn't live here. Maybe it's somebody who is a believer in Jesus and they're a part of another body, another church, but we serve them by using the resource and the ministry of this church to be a blessing to other churches. Uh, A few weeks back, I got an email from the pastor of one of the other churches here in town, and he said, hey, brother, on Mondays, we, there's a group of us that gather together and we pray, and, to, and this next Monday, it wasn't tomorrow because it was like on a, the end of a week, this next Monday, we're going to be praying for First Baptist Church. And so I just wondered, how could we pray for your church? And I thought that was incredible. And I sent him back an email, and I, I, I answered a few things. This is the pastor, uh, forgive me, I don't remember his name off the top of my head because We've never actually met in person, but he pastors Victory Family Church here in, in Chickasha. And, and he said to me, you know, hey, can we, how can we pray for your church? And, and I responded, I said, brother, that is such an incredible ask. Thank you, first of all, because it blesses me. But that's an example of a way that one church serves another church. But you know, there are other ways that churches serve those who are outside of the context of this body. Think about what we do as a Southern Baptist church and the way that we, that we encourage other Southern Baptist churches, the way that we participate in our local association of churches, the way that we work within our state convention through Oklahoma Baptist, the way that we work nationally with our, our, our work, our cooperative work in the Southern Baptist Convention, and even to the ends of the earth as we're seeking to reach people with the gospel. Even this past week, I had coffee here in town with one of our IMB missionaries who serves in Western Europe and is home on stateside assignment for a, a few months. And, and we got to have coffee together. And it was so cool to hear the work about what God has been doing through the work of our international missionaries. This is a guy who is from Oklahoma, born and raised in Oklahoma, grew up in Tecumseh, and, and then now serves as a missionary with the IMB in Western Europe. He's been in Spain, but is actually getting to, ready to relocate to Strasbourg, France. And it was so encouraging. And it was 
not only encouraging to hear what God is doing through our missionaries, but then to think that our church has a hand in that work because of the way that we give and support fund the cooperative program. Last year, as Southern Baptist, we raised $205 million through our Lottie Moon Christmas offering to support the work of our our missionaries. This year, that will be coming up in just a matter of weeks. We'll begin talking about the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that we receive every year as we head into Christmas. And 100% of the money that we give to that goes to support the work of our international missionaries who are serving with our international mission board around the globe to reach people with the gospel. We partner together to do this cooperative work. Why? Because we believe it matters, but also because we see as a church, this is a way that we serve the outsider, those who aren't a part of this local fellowship. But there's another way that we serve the outsider. There's another way that we can understand the outsider. And that's not just someone who's outside of this body, but someone who stands outside of faith. And I really think that's a big part of what Paul is saying here, is that in the exercise of our liberty, our Christian liberty, we need to seek to show love to others because the way that we love each other is ultimately a witness to a watching world of how we live by faith. Look at a couple of phrases in particular that I think point out this, that highlight what I'm I'm saying. He says in verse 15, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Jump down to verse 20. Everything, he says, is indeed clean, yes? But just before that, he said, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. We need to be careful that in exercising our freedom, we are not hindering the work of the gospel. Can you, is there freedom for you to do this, that, right? Fill in the blank, X, Y, Z. Is it something that the scripture has not spoken specifically about? And, and it's one of those matters, with those non-essentials, and there's freedom, there's liberty for us to operate under the direction of the Holy Spirit as he, as he guides our conscience. Yes, there's freedom in that. But you need to, you need to subject your exercise of freedom to your Christian witness. You need to ask yourself the question, Is the exercise of my faith here going to point people to Jesus or draw them away from Christ? Is the exercise of my freedom here, is it going to preach the gospel or is it just going to celebrate me? Is the exercise of my freedom here, is it going to hinder someone else? Or is it going to take me out of the way and shine the spotlight on Jesus? Because that should be our focus in all things. We are to serve Christ Yes, there's a lot of grace and a lot of liberty and a lot of freedom for the exercise of that faith. But I want to challenge you that you would never let the exercise of your freedom consume your desire to serve the gospel and to serve the outsider. We're called to serve Christ first and foremost. We're called to serve one another as a reflection of our love for Christ, but we're also called to serve the outsider because in doing that, We are pointing the way to Jesus. We are shining the light of Christ and the hope that we have in him for others to see. This morning, in a moment, we're going to move into a time of reflection. And even as we think about this, I I wonder, where's the area? Where's where's the Spirit speaking to you today? How is God God speaking to you? How's he working? Even in your mind right now, what are you thinking of that you think, yeah, I, I really need to try to practice this in my life by, by pointing people to Jesus. 
by seeking to bring everything I have under the subjection of that authority of, of God's word, first and foremost, but also under the leadership of the Holy Spirit with the desire to make Christ first and point the way to him in everything, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity, Christian love. May our love for Christ and our love for one another cause us to do all things in a way that our lives would glorify Jesus. And so as we think about moving into a time of invitation in a moment, I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer. And even as we pray, I want to encourage you to pray this very specific prayer this morning in response to this text, that you would pray, Lord Jesus, how can I put you first in my life? And then as God speaks to you, as His Holy Spirit speaks to you today, I would encourage you that you would respond in obedience to Him. Maybe for some, the way that you put Jesus first is by surrendering your life to Him today. As we've seen the gospel visually demonstrated, as we've heard the gospel proclaimed through the Word of God this morning, God has been speaking to you and He's calling you to faith in Jesus. He's calling you to, to confess Him as Lord and Savior, to turn from your sin and turn to a Savior who gave everything for you. And if that's you today... And you need to respond by putting Jesus first, by surrendering your life to him. Even as we stand and sing this song of invitation in a moment, I want you to know that the invitation stands open to you to give your life to Jesus. Brad and I will be standing here at the front. We would love nothing more than to walk you through a prayer of faith that you might surrender your life to Christ today, that you might truly put him first by making him Lord and Savior of your life. But I know for many in the room, you've taken that step. And for you... The exercise, the, 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 the obedience today really comes down to this. What comes to mind when you ask that question, and in a moment, what, how does the Spirit direct your thoughts when you pray the prayer? Lord, how do I put you first? What do I need to do to put you first in my life? However the Lord guides you, however He's directing you today, I encourage you, I challenge you to respond in obedience to Him during this time. Let's bow our heads together. Let's close our eyes. And even as I've already mentioned, as I'm voicing this prayer corporately, I invite you to pray the very same thing privately. Lord Jesus, would you speak to our hearts today? Guide us to know how we can honor you and put you first in all things. Bring to mind, even now, Holy Spirit, specific ways that we are to live in obedience to your will as you guide us to surrender all things to Jesus and respond in faith and obedience to him. Move in us now as we sing this song of response, Lord.